श्री गुरुभ्यो नम प्रणाम गुरु परंपरा एंड प्रणाम्स टू द लॉर्ड श्री कृष्णा बिकॉज ऑफ होम वी आर एबल टू स्टडी दिस स्क्रिप्चर टूडे एंड प्रणाम्स टू ऑल दोज आर ज्वाइंट ऑन द कॉल एंड प्रणाम्स टू दोज कुड नॉट मेक इट टूडे फॉर जेन्यून रीजन सो वी आर एट अ वेरी वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग इंटरसेक्शन एज फार एज आवर गीता जर्नी गोस वी आर वी स्टॉप लास्ट वीक just at the place where arjuna is surrendering to the lord to krishna arjuna is accepting that he is not in a frame of mind where he can think clearly and this was the moment that krishna was waiting for before he can start the gita upadesha so we are at a very exciting stage let me give a very quick express recap and then we'll jump into today's content so last few uh, shlokas uh, vyasacharya is presenting the circumstances in which arjuna who is a soldier becomes arjuna who is a seeker of moksha and to become a seeker of moksha one who has to be or one who wants to seek moksha or be on that path of liberation they have to go through certain stages the first stage being that the discovery of the human problem one needs to understand one needs to be conscious of the fact that there is a problem and that fundamental problem that arjuna faces has been explained in chapter 1 which is the suffering that arjuna is having because of the raga shoka and moha raga is attachment shoka is the dependence the sorrow and then finally leading to confusion any psychological dependence or attachment on external factors is called as ragaha and because of the psychological dependence there is a constant anxiety that we may lose it or we will not be able to have it uh, and when we depend we become dependent on that uh, we are we are worried about the loss of that either actually or imaginarily there is intense grief which is caused and that is called shoka and when the mind is in the grip of this attachment and grief it loses its ability to discriminate it faces conflict and with regard to that it does not know what is right what is wrong what should be done what should not be done and that state of mind is moha this threefold problem of attachment leading to uh, grief leading to conflict is the fundamental problem called as samsara this is the problem of samsara all of us face this day in and day out and arjuna is facing the problem of samsara unfortunately in the battlefield right when the battle call has been given right this is what we saw in chapter 1 where arjuna is discovering the problem of samsara and then when a person discover that he has a problem the first step is always to become conscious that there is a problem and hence there is a need for a solution or to change and the moment when somebody discovers this problem what is the immediate reaction he does not go running to a guru or he does not take the help of a scripture he thinks he can solve this problem by himself or he will see who else i can do what i can do and he will try to solve the problem by himself or by changing his condition or by changing the condition around him in fact all 
the lifelong struggles are nothing but adjustment of this external condition hoping that our internal problem will be solved for good so we are always on the move we are always trying to change our job or change our friends or make new networks and you know invest in new places buy a new property change move to a new location change the school of our children i mean you name it we are always changing the things around us in order to get internal satisfaction but generally what we find is that the external adjustments do not solve the problem of attachment and even if it solves it is not a permanent solution so the second stage for a seeker of moksha is to realize the state of helplessness in solving the problem you try so many things but nothing works eventually on a permanent stage so arjuna is on the verge of discovering the second stage he is no longer under a panic attack now like he was earlier he is much calmer now he is talking more logically he is now reached the stage of doubt and he is using reasoning skills better than before he is now in a state of self doubt he is wondering aloud in one of the previous shloka he said i don't even know what is right whether we should win this war or whether we should lose this war because whichever way i look at it i see it to be a loose loose situation so he does not even understand what is a favorable outcome so he is completely in a state of doubt finally in shloka 7 arjuna said to krishna my mind is no longer functional and i am unable to decide what is right and what is wrong i am overpowered by misery confusion and grief i am unable to think i need your help and guidance arjuna is showing openness to external inputs for the first time after the meltdown he had on seeing bhishma and drona standing on the enemy camp and the thought of having to fight them and kill them to defeat them he had a meltdown right in the middle of a battlefield after that we saw the all of shloka chapter 1 and the first first seven shlokas in chapter 2 first time arjuna is showing that he is ready to take help from outside he is now entering the third stage which is surrendering to a guru because he is saying krishna i cannot do anything on my own i need help i need guidance so he is asking krishna to give knowledge to him he is asking krishna to remove his ignorance now it is very important to understand arjuna is not asking for a tactical help from krishna he is not asking krishna tell me just an answer for this thing the rest i know no but he is asking for an overall knowledge so that his ignorance can be permanently removed else if he does not do that if he doesn't work towards removing his ignorance what will happen based on krishna's specific guidance for a specific question arjuna will solve this problem but again he will have to run to krishna for his advice when the next problem comes in this mock method you become dependent on the advisor right this is the difference between advice and teaching when i give an advice to a person i am not making that person independent i am only making the person dependent on me therefore that person thinks whenever i have got conflict i have to run to this person and take advice 
So the next conflict comes, I run seeking advice. So we get used to asking for advice. We become dependent on the advisor to take every decision. Therefore, if I am a true well-wisher, if I am a true guru, I should not be advising the person. That's why if you see most of the best coaches, best known coaches, best known mentors, they don't answer questions, right? They help the person to discover themselves. So if I am a true well-wisher, I should not be advising the person. I should teach the person how to take decision so that tomorrow I may not be around and when there is a situation, you must have the ability to objectively evaluate the situation and take an appropriate decision. Therefore, advice makes a person dependent, teaching makes a person independent. That's typically a difference between a manager and a leader. Even the Chinese proverb says, right, if you have a hungry person, if you give him a fish today, you are solving today's problem. But if you teach him how to fish, you are solving his problem forever. So now Krishna is at last happy. He was waiting for the moment when Arjuna will surrender and will ask for his help. He was looking for an opportunity to guide Arjuna because he knows exactly what Arjuna is going through and that has now become possible. Let's look at shloka number 8 onwards. Shloka 8 now. Nahi prapashyami mama apanutyat so he says, Arjuna is continuing after asking for Krishna's help in 7th shloka, he is continuing. He says, I do not see anything that can remove the sorrow of mine which is weakening all my sense organs. Even after getting an unrivaled prosperous kingdom upon earth, and even after getting the kingship over the gods. So Arjuna is still not very convinced of what should be done, right? He has that hangover of his mental frame of mind. So even after asking Krishna for help, he is still continuing his lamentation. So Arjuna has reached a point where the only thing that mattered to him was to get an ultimate cure for his sorrow, a cure that was permanent and not some material thing like wealth that would diminish sorrow temporarily. He realized that his problem requires a permanent solution. That's why he says, I don't know even if after getting the most prosperous kingdom upon earth or even after I become the king of God. Who is the king of God? Indra himself. He says, even if I become Indra, I don't know what will be, whether my sorrow can be removed, my confusion can be removed. And so he's asking for an ultimate cure, which will give him that higher level of discrimination or viveka, which can lead him to liberation. So when we are swamped in misery, right? Our intellect keeps analyzing the cause of the misery. That's the tendency of our intellect. And when it is able to think no further, when it is not able to point the finger and say this is the problem or this is the source of my misery, then dejection sets in. Since Arjuna's problems are looming bigger than his feeble intellect at the moment, his material 
knowledge or prowess that he has is insufficient to save him from his current situation it's insufficient to extricate him from the ocean of grief that he is finding himself in right so he is having accepted krishna as his guru he is now opening his heart out and he is revealing his pitiable situation asking for help now imagine arjuna's situation is not unique this is invariably the situation we all find ourselves in at some point or the other during our lifetime we want happiness but we experience misery we desire knowledge but we are unable to get rid of our ignorance we crave for perfect love but we repeatedly get disappointment all the college degrees and acquired knowledge and the certifications and the mundane scholarships and the clubs and you know all the places you study they unfortunately do not provide solutions to these complexities of life the only way we can overcome these challenges is through divine knowledge only a divine knowledge can solve the puzzles of the life that treasure chest of divine knowledge is opened when we find a true guru who himself is situated in that liberated state and who has the ability to uh, who has the ability to teach and we as disciple have the humility to learn so arjuna is realizing that he needs to become humble and seek help so arjuna says i do not see any other method other than your teaching i do not see any method of removing this sorrow even if i am going to escape it is again going to bounce back i may choose to fight this war and i may even win this war i may kill all these people and i may become the emperor i may get this kingdom i may get a kingdom which is unrivaled in prosperity so arjuna is realizing that none of this is going to give him that sense of satisfaction or peace the situation that he is landed himself in he is realizing that even if he wins this war by killing everybody and gets the most prosperous kingdom on earth that's not going to give him peace so essentially what arjuna is indicating here is that money cannot remove the problem of sorrow as somebody has said right money can buy bed but cannot buy sleep money can buy food but cannot buy hunger money can buy house but cannot buy a home money can buy people but it cannot buy true friends so similarly arjuna here is showing that the grief cannot be solved by getting any one of these things even if he gets the kingdom the most prosperous kingdom on earth the entire prosperity of this world cannot solve the problem suranam api adhipatyam even if i am going to become indra like even if i am going to become the king of the gods even if i am going to rule over the gods i don't think that will solve the problem so arjuna is realizing that this is something more serious than that so the problem of samsara cannot be solved by worldly accomplishments that's the key take away message of the shloka which arjuna is recognizing and hence he is surrendering to the lord so the key essence of the shloka the problem of samsara cannot be solved by worldly accomplishments or through material means and what is the problem of samsara raga shoka and moha we we just saw in the beginning of today's session so let's look at shloka 9 now 
so too he will conquer his current state of confusion so he's kind of giving a hidden message to dhritarashtra by giving this particular name for arjuna now and similarly he uses the word rishikesha for krishna he is saying one who is the master of mind and senses again the subtle hint here is that this master of senses will definitely ensure that arjuna also is able to master his mind and senses and he is able to manage his situation properly so sanjaya in a very intelligent way is communicating what is happening in the battlefield live to dhritarashtra but at the same time through using of through use of proper intelligent names kind of giving lot of subtle messages now let's move to shloka number 10 tamo vacharishi keshah प्रहसन्नारत ृष्णोल्ड right prahasan smilingly the key word in the shloka is prahasan and there are different commentators who have who have interpreted this word in slightly different ways right so let's look at what's what's happening so as so krishna is kind of half smiling right as though smiling uh, the commonly held interpretation or notion is that krishna wanted to use arjuna as a vehicle or as a medium to deliver this bhagavad gita and he smiled because he knows the time has come for delivering this sermon for the upliftment of the human kind especially in the kali yuga so it's for people like us that krishna gave this upadesha of gita to arjuna and he knew arjuna was the medium or the channel through which Uh, it was to happen and arjuna has now requested him to become his guru and guide him so that is the most commonly held interpretation that okay when you are a wise person you are waiting for the moment and when that moment comes you smile and then you get down to work right another interpretation is that arjuna on one hand is surrendering to the lord he is saying i am confused my mind is not working you know i am not able to decide so you become my guru you tell me what you should do but at the other hand he is also saying i will not fight so look at the contradiction right on one hand i surrender on the other hand i am saying but i am not going to fight so have you really surrendered right so that is the another reason or interpretation some commentators choose to make that krishna is smiling because of the qualified request that arjuna is making he is telling you guide me and then he is saying i will not fight so 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 far was the background of the gita right starting from next verse next verse onwards we are about to get into the heart of the gita and like any good speaker krishna has provided an overview of the gita for us in chapter 2 all the subsequent chapters so in chapter 2 itself actually the entire message of gita will be delivered all the subsequent chapters are like building a 18 story building on top of a foundation so 
each chapter will go into greater detail of the message that Krishna has delivered in this chapter through a form of a conversation because Arjuna will keep asking question and Krishna will keep clarifying and give answers to that. So we will try our best to understand. Uh, some of the shlokas are very abstract when it talks about Brahman and Atman. So don't get worried. Uh, it is perfectly fine to not understand them in the first uh, reading. Uh, but as we continue to read this and get into the depth in subsequent chapters, the nuances will reveal itself and we will have a much better understanding and appreciation of what the message is, right? So what happens, right? With our incomplete understanding, we find faults with the situation that we are in. We complain and grumble about them. We want to run away from the situation. We want to hold everyone else responsible except ourselves for our misery. But the wise people, the enlightened people, informed that the world is created by God in a perfect way, in every possible way you think. And both good and bad situations come upon people for a very, very divine purpose. They are all arranged for our spiritual upliftment, spiritual evolution. Imagine if Arjuna had not had this meltdown, Krishna could not have given this uplifting Gitopadesha to Arjuna, right? So it is said that even though all of us go through ups and downs in our life, it is all being done for a divine purpose. It is to push us upward in our journey toward perfection. Those who understand the secret are never disturbed during a difficult time. They face them with serenity and tranquility. It is said in a famous Taoist expression, the snowflakes fall slowly to the ground, each flake in its proper place. When you, if you see the snowfall, how slowly, gently it falls and it says, each flake of snow falls in its proper place where it was destined and designated to fall. It beautifully expresses the inherent perfection in the design of the world. All the macro events that are taking place around us in the world, in the universe, even though we are not able to perceive it from our material perspective. From our individual perspective, we may have a limited interpretation and understanding of what's going on. But what is said here is that everything that's going on in this world is as per a divine plan and it happens for a divine purpose. Including this coronavirus which is happening is a divine intervention. There is a reason for it happening. The Chandogya Upanishad explains why earthquakes, hurricanes, cyclones, floods and typhoons, all these kinds of natural calamities are created in the world by God. It is all part of one grand scheme of things. It states that God deliberately creates situations to prevent people from slowing down in their journey of spiritual progress. Right? So, uh, it will, when, when tough times come, it pushes people closer towards spirituality, it pushes people closer towards God, it pushes people more towards becoming devoted. So when people become complacent, a natural calamity comes along. Look at what happened, right? The world had become so material, had become so artificial, it required a corona kind of a virus to bring the entire world to a halt, right? 
all the mindless travel came to a stop right it is forcing the souls souls to strain their abilities to cope with it and everybody during the lockdown started looking inward started looking for spiritual upliftment right so when we talk about difficulties in life it is all for a divine purpose that's the key message that's coming out in the shloka and the internal unfoldment that happens the benefit that we get by going inwards by becoming spiritual continues over a continuum of lifetimes not only this lifetime it even continues beyond this lifetime into the subsequent lifetimes that's the benefit of any spiritual journey any material journey however you start from zero you become a millionaire a billionaire a multi billionaire when you die you leave it all behind but any spiritual credit you accomplish or you add to your bank balance in your account that that spiritual balance that punya will serve for you even in your subsequent janma let's look at shloka number 11 krishna is now going to start the upadesha of gita shri bhagavan vacha मोर्निंग right that was the state of arjuna right he was in a state of grief and mourning tvam tvam means you pratyavadan pratyavadan means words of wisdom bhashase means speaking gata asun the dead agata asun the living anushochanti lament panditaha means the wise people so let's understand what it means the supreme lord now said while you speak words of wisdom you are mourning for that which is not worthy of grief the wise lament neither for the living nor for the dead now imagine in the situation right your best friend your closest confidant you are his sarathi you are his charioteer you are in the middle of a battle field and you have a such a mental meltdown like what arjuna is having and arjuna is crying weeping he is he is completely blown away and when krishna gets a chance to talk he is not trying to console arjuna he is not trying to tell okay okay no problem don't worry i will solve it for you you have come to me you what you are saying is right he is not doing any of this is not doing any any nice talk at all he is straight away saying what you are speaking is nonsense what you are speaking does not make sense on one hand you think you are speaking wisdom but what you are doing is not at all right so as i said starting with this verse sri krishna is initiating his discourse with a very very dramatic opening statement right arjuna was feeling very very convinced why he should not fight and all the reasoning he gave why he should not fight why it is a sin and blah 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 so krishna is not doing any sweet talk 
is not trying to calm down arjuna he says arjuna do you feel you are speaking with, you are behaving like a wise man what you are actually speaking and acting is purely ignorance no possible reason justify this kind of lamentation that you are doing look at it straight slap back right he says the pandits the wise people they never lament neither for the living nor for the dead hence the grief you visualize in killing your relatives is purely illusory it is your maya your imagination and it proves that you are not a pandit he is further you know provoking arjuna he saying is this the way a wise man speaks proves that you are not a wise man and what does not need to go far into the gita to find a wise person above lamentation bhishma himself is the perfect example he was a sage he was a mahatma who had fathomed the mysteries of life and death and risen above the dualities of circumstances so bhishma had given his support to the throne of hastinapura irrespective of who rules over it right so he had risen above the dualities of circumstances that's the reason he is on the wrong side of the equation serene in any eventuality he had even consented to taking the side of the wicked he had to support duryodhana no choice because he was compelled or he had given the oath to uphold the throne of hastinapura he just looked at whatever he did as a service to the lord so he he is a great example to see those who are surrendered to god simply do their duty in all situations without being affected by the outcomes without realizing what will the world think of me what will people say am i doing right am i doing wrong they are not bothered about the outcome such people never lament they don't complain Bhishma is not complaining. Oh, I am such a great person. I am such a mighty warrior. My bad luck. I am stuck in this situation. If only I was on the other side, I would have become far more worthy. I could have become a king. No, nothing of that sort, right? So Bhishma is a great example of a wise person. So they always look at God's grace. Everything they say is a God's grace. So Krishna wanted to correct Arjuna's logic straight up front. The moment he opened his mouth to speak, he said, "Arjuna, you are talking nonsense. Your logic is all wrong. This is not the way to think about it. You are not behaving like a wise person." He says, "There is no need to grieve for the living or for the dead. Death is inevitable. Those who are born are going to die one day. We should enjoy and appreciate the living." just like one appreciates a colorful soap bubble blown by a child a child blows a bubble it lasts for a few seconds but inevitably it will burst some bubbles may probably last a bit longer but the fact of the matter is that bubble is also going to burst that is never a surprise that the bubble will never burst that never happens right so krishna is telling arjuna and to all of us through arjuna to assess any life situation with logic and reason and not by emotion now it is obviously not possible to keep our emotions in check all the time but we should make a conscious attempt to do that we saw what happened to arjuna when he when he let his emotions run wild if such a thing can happen to the mightiest of warriors who are we we are all lesser mortals right 
so we have to be very careful we should not let emotions overpower us and result in a panic attack a wise person who uses viveka or discrimination which means logic and reasoning about what is correct and incorrect is called a pandit or a gyani a pandit or a gyani is not someone who has you know a, a certification or a degree from harvard no it is a person who has that viveka the ability to discriminate so he says the bubble will eventually burst body will eventually perish but is that the end no when the body dies it's not the end the atma lives on right so the, the next verse is going deeper into this topic let's look at shloka number 12 natve vaham jatu nasam natvam neme janadipaha जनाधिपाहिंग्स let me read the english purport it will make sense of the shloka he says in fact there was never a time when i did not exist nor did you exist nor did these kings and never shall we all cease to exist hereafter so krishna is elaborating on the point he made in the previous shloka about this is not the end if someone dies that is not the end He is expanding that by saying, "There was never a time when I did not exist. There was never a time where you did not exist. There was never a time where all these people who you see, all these kings, they did not exist." And he says, "There will never be a time where we will not exist in future." Which means what? We are all eternal. We are all. We were always there. We will always be there. All of us are timeless and eternal. We always existed in the past. and we will always exist in the future now this is a very very heavy message to understand right so digest it the way you are able to do not get hassled by it right once socrates the greek philosopher was walking on the street very deeply absorbed in his thoughts and he bumped into someone and the man blurted in annoyance can't you see where you are walking who are you and socrates answered in a very humorous way he said my dear fellow i have been pondering about that question for the last 40 years if you ever come to know who i am please let me know right so this whole atma gyana is about knowing who am i in the vedic tradition whenever the divine knowledge is imparted it usually begins with the knowledge of the self atma gyana so krishna is following the same approach in the bhagavad gita he begins by explaining that the the entity we call the self is really the soul the atman it is not the body it is not the material body it is like the packaging material when you order something from amazon suppose you order a mobile phone does the mobile phone come like that in its own box no it will be packed in a cover the cover will be packed in an amazon box there will be multiple layers of packaging which comes so what we see outside this body and identify it through a name and a shape and a form and a face and so on 
is just the material body it is temporary it is a packaging it is going to be temporary it will go away but the inside material the atman that is eternal it lasts forever no end right in one of the upanishads it states that the creation is a combination of three entities the god the soul which is the atman and maya these are the only three things which exist in this world the rest everything is imagination everything else is an illusion these are the only three things which are eternal if we believe the soul is eternal then it follows logically that there is life after death of the material body so krishna is telling exactly that to arjuna if you kill these people that's not going to be the end there was never a time these people did not exist and there is never going to be a time where these people will not be there so if this packing material is discarded the soul will assume another packing material another body and they will continue to exist so krishna is trying to straight away give the heavy duty gyan heavy knowledge to arjuna right so let's imagine a huge lake with deep waters now typically if you have seen a lake it will be very calm very serene very silent no movement right but occasionally once in a while if a strong wind blows it will cause some movement in the lake water you will see a few waves for a few seconds and then when the wind stops the waves will disappear and again everything will become very calm and silent and stable now if we apply the logic of this verse and from and I'll evaluate from the perspective of a wave the lay, the the lake always existed before the wave came into existence and the lake will remain to exist after the wave has disappeared right we are all like waves this universe has existed before us and what is wave is wave a separate entity is it made of something special no wave is also that same water which is in the lake so the wave came from the lake it disappeared in the lake it was there before it is there after also even though i cannot see the wave now it did not come from outside so it was always there so it's all part of the same god it's part of the same atman right you can extend the same logic to a lcd television screen thousands of pixels out there with the lots of light switching on and off on the screen when you switch on and switch off the tv the tv screen is the same the pixels are same right it's just the light which moves which gives us the image of what is on the screen right we can imagine or we can enjoy a movie on the screen that will begin that will end there will be characters there would have been a bomb blast an earthquake in the movie all that will come and go but the screen will remain as it is it is a constant right so even if you look at it from a pure science perspective from the point of view of physics matter can never be created or destroyed it can only undergo change from one state to another so this shloka is trying to reiterate the physics law by saying that the atoms and molecules that comprise us always existed in the universe in some shape or form our scriptures say that we are made up of the panch mahabhutas right they all are part of the universe so we come from the mud we go back to the mud that's the popular saying right so let's look at shloka number 13 krishna is continuing this message to arjuna 
it is no different than we relocating from one house to a new house or we moving from an old laptop to a new laptop when we transfer all, all our files from the old to the new and uh, it's, it's exactly like that or like how we discard old clothes, worn out clothes and wear new clothes. So it's, it's somewhat similar from a concept perspective. So the body is born, it undergoes changes and eventually perishes. But the body dweller, the dehinaha, the soul, right, the one which is inside the body, it remains constant through all these changes. The soul remains the same. So this means that the body dweller is something that is separate or distinct. It is different from the body itself. So the occupier of the body is different from the body itself. The body is like the Amazon packing which you get when the courier guy comes and delivers to you. But the content inside is different from the packing. So you have to keep that in mind. Right? So, similarly, our body undergoes modifications of birth and aging and eventually perishes, but the soul remains same. So the body dweller, therefore, is the eternal essence. Who is that body dweller? That Atman. Right? He is an eternal essence. From the small baby to a hundred year old man, the soul is the same and when that body is dead, it takes over another body. Right? So without accepting the concept of rebirth, it is very difficult to make sense out of everything that's going on in this file. How do we make sense of some people suffer a lot, they go through a lot of chaos, there is so much imperfection we find in the world. Right? So all that is explained through the karma principle. So Krishna has previously declared the wise people do not lament. But the fact remains that we do experience happiness and sorrow and distress. And why we do that is explained in the next sloka. We will stop here uh, for want of time. Hariyom Jaya Krishna. I open up now for any questions, comments or uh, feedback. Over to you Jayaji.